everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. I'm Tim Stein. So glad that you're joining us. I'm joined today with uh, Dan Drake, uh, Jeannie Vitoni, and Wendy Conquest. Today, we're going to be talking about forgiveness related to the addict, which really means how does forgiveness play into the addict's journey, and what does that look like? This, I think, is a really great topic to have. It also has some parts of it that are a little bit touchy or controversial. So let's hop in. What what are your guys' initial thoughts as sort of like just that topic gets put out there into the ether? Well, can I just say my, my thought, I, when we talked about this, I'm like, so are we saying forgiveness from the addict to the partner? I, mean, I think we even have this kind of conversation offline, which is, that's a very dicey one to, to, to go into. But anyway, yeah. I... I, I think there's a lot of facets to forgiveness that I'm curious to go into. And I'm glad that we're expanding that, you know, forgiveness for others, forgiveness for self, forgiveness for others in the past as a way to help the addict in the addict's own treatment and not staying in a narrow place, which can be a bit controversial of forgiveness of by addict for partner. Yeah. I can hear all the partners in my world saying, Forgive for, you're going to forgive me? Forgive me for what? Right. Well, and the very beginning that I hear forgiveness being uh, introduced as a topic is when it's early in discovery and the addiction has been found out, the addict is spinning and feels terrible and their two worlds are colliding between the secret world and their world with their partner. And so many times I hear, and he's asked me to forgive him. It's within the first days or weeks, please forgive me, please forgive me. I I, I didn't know what I was doing. I realize that this is really hurtful to you. And also I'll say that later on the addict consistently says, I never knew how devastating, how horrific my behavior would impact my partner. So I'll say that as a caveat, but early on is this piece of, will you forgive me? And the partner, I think, depending on a lot of pieces and a lot of times it is religious orientation, will want to forgive and I've had partners that say, I do forgive you, but at the core, because of the trauma and the shock, there really isn't forgiveness, which of course we, I, I, I would say, I would never expect that. I would, I think the forgiving too soon, too fast is very dangerous. I think it on a level, it can give the addict part permission to continue bad behavior. So, uh, so I would say at the very beginning, if, if we have a partner or an addict listening to this, please do not ask for forgiveness, period. Don't even ask. In the beginning, you mean? Well, it's a great point. Is there, is there a time? Yeah, exactly. I I want to remind our reader, readers, listeners. We have a whole other podcast about forgiveness with partners. 
Yes. And today and is really forgiveness. forgiveness in general. So and forgiveness in general. And today we're really coming from the work the addict does in seeking, receiving, offering. I think we're really trying to go into the offering of forgiveness from so, an addict's perspective. So if an addict is asking for forgiveness early on in their their sobriety work or early in their recovery journey, what do you think it's really about? What comes to mind for me is I think they're trying to figure out how to forgive themselves and they can't. And so they want someone else to forgive them so they can have a false sense of feeling better about themselves. What are your guys' thoughts? What, 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 where does that need for the addict to ask for forgiveness early on come from? I think some of the guys, some of the addicts, addicts are women and men. I think some of the addicts truly regret and remorse about their actions. And so I think sometimes when they're asking forgiveness, they really do understand the hurt and pain they've caused. Now, that understanding might continue to expand as they get into it. But I, I don't think it's always a manipulation. Um, I don't know either, but I don't know though. Yes, they can feel it, but that the ability to sit with, I've done something devastating to my partner and I have to sit with the anxiety and the, 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 like, I want absolution. I, I see it as absolution. They want absolution. Like, okay, you're, you're rinsed clean of this or something. You can feel better. It feels more per, it feels more about themselves than it does about their, their partner in that case. Um, even if they feel devastated, if I'm putting that on somebody else, part of, I guess for me, part of the living amends or part of the consequences is to be able to sit with that uncomfortability, that anxiety of that the other person is in pain and they don't forgive me. And I have to be okay with that. Yeah. I think I that's hear, critical. I hear what you're saying, Dan. I think that if it goes something like, please forgive me and don't leave me, even though they don't say that, please forgive me and let's move on. Please forgive me. And this really isn't that big a deal. So they don't overtly say those things. But I think a lot of times that because the please forgive me, especially early on, doesn't come from a grounded place. It doesn't come from a soft, calm place. It comes from a panicky place. Well, I, I want to disagree. Though. I want to disagree because I don't want to put blanket statements on this. I mean, I have experienced addicts in great remorse and it's it's please forgive me and i'm so sorry and i i realize that may be the exception but i don't want to put blanket statements on someone saying something asking for forgiveness and having as best they can the, their truest understanding of the pain that they've caused because i i have experienced some addicts really understand that at the front side now it may not be the majority but i don't want to put blanket statements that it, that doesn't occur I'm hesitant with that. I still think though, it's that puts an undue pressure on the partner then. And I, and I know we're talking on the totally. other side of self-forgiveness totally, and all that, totally, but totally. And I'm I don't think it's about... fair. I don't think it's fair to do. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not going into the, the pressure it puts on the partner and the response. I'm just talking about, I think sometimes there's a genuine understanding of the pain they've caused. That's all I'm trying to say. And addicts want to avoid pain because at all costs, so they do anything. So I think part of it is being able to tolerate that pain. I think that's, that's a recovery. super important piece. Like you said sort of earlier, Dan, is sitting in the uncomfortable. But I think on the flip side, you know, going to kind of this topic today, 
the flip side is, you know, we'll we'll get people that say, well, I, I see the devastating conquest, uh, con- uh, consequences of my actions and how horribly I've harmed my relationship and my partner, my family or other people around me. So I do deserve, I, I don't deserve anything. I should be, I should feel awful. And they kind of go the, the flip side and say, I'm a piece of crap and I have no, no rights or anything like that. Um, well, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit, which is really, what is it? What's the journey like for the addict and how important is the journey for the addict to be able to forgive themselves? Yeah. yeah. That plays into that shame spiral we talk about a lot is how yeah. to manage the shame, feel the feel the responsibility, feel the consequences, but not be overwhelmed by it and not be swept away by it. I like what you just said there, because I think that this is one of those sticking points that people outside of 12 steps sometimes struggle with. Sometimes I hear people saying it's just a bunch of addicts that are sitting around telling each other that what they did is okay. Mm. And I say, well, that if you were in the rooms, you would know that there's this balance of you are absolutely responsible for what you've done, and you are absolutely responsible for the impact you've had on others. And yet that responsibility doesn't eliminate the importance or the necessity of being able to forgive yourself, understand how you got there so that you can move forward in a different way. And so when we're talking about the addict learning to forgive themselves, it isn't that they're absolving themselves of responsibility for what they've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this earlier on, and I really have started to talk to people about sex addiction being a part of them, not all of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm reminded we did a podcast with Jenna Resmersma. Resmersma. Mm-hmm. I always get her name wrong. Resmersma. Um, And she's an IFS, internal family systems therapist extraordinaire. And so she was making the distinction in that podcast of in 12 step meetings, people will say, you know, hi, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm John and I'm a sex addict. And so every single meeting, if you identify as having sex addiction, acting out with sex addiction, then you identify as a sex addict. And in that podcast, Jenna was saying that that that's a part of that person. And so I think in the addict's recovery, it's important that they distinguish between that addict part and their authentic selves. And this might ruffle a lot of feathers with right. partners it, it 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 very it very might well but I, I i really want to talk about it because if if they're an addict that's one thing if they're just a real jerk that's another thing so it's the whole piece of how does sex addiction come to be we know now that it's rooted in trauma Every sex addict I've worked with, we identify absolutely trauma in childhood and adolescence and sexual behavior as calming, very, very uncomfortable feelings. That's what Dan, I think, was alluding to or, or talked about. So um, so I think it's this piece of the addict coming to a place, and this doesn't happen early on, but coming to a place of 
wow, that I had a, I had a part that took over and had me do all these really horrific things. I can't, I see addicts later on, right? Say, I can't even believe I did those things. Like I look back, I can't believe I did what I did, but I did, but I did. And this is to Tim's point. I do take responsibility. I did do those things no matter how they were framed. And, I, and but that that's not authentically me. I really believe that I'm a good person. I really believe that I have values. I really believe it, which kind of doesn't make sense to any partner because how could they be in such contradiction? What I think you're talking about there is, and, and this is part of that self-forgiveness process that addicts, I think, have to go through, which is not justification of their behaviors, but understanding that part of me that really pushes my addiction and my addictive behaviors. How did that part come about? Why for that part of me, do those behaviors make sense? And why did those behaviors make sense in the past? And I can understand how that part got to that point, And I can understand how that part still wants to use those behaviors to manage whatever's coming up. And I can have compassion for that part while I simultaneously put boundaries around that part and say, I'm not letting you deal with that anymore. I, as my adult self, my recovery self, I'm stepping forward and I'm going to manage whatever this discomfort, this fear, this insecurity is that's coming up. I'm going to manage it in a different way, but I understand how you got there and I'm not going to let you do that anymore. I think that's the part of treatment in general is having creating an understanding well there's the cognitive and then there's the neurological but the cognitive is understanding how did this addiction come to be how was it formed what can i do differently and i think through that process of learning and then working on the biology and the neurobiology and creating new change and new pathways of coping skill i think that then how do i say fosters the foundation for self-forgiveness and again forgiveness is not excusing it's understanding what's happened so that it makes sense so i can learn from it not do that again not go down those neural pathways again and therefore i think go into forgiveness self-forgiveness so what you're describing tim i think is a very important part of the treatment process yeah, recovery process. Yeah. I have a partner's uh, voices in my head right now saying right. something like, okay, not only is it bad enough, the devastation that my significant other caused to me, they don't even understand what they've done. They don't seem to have remorse with me. Sometimes there's this extra or they're blame shifting stuff or they're, they don't have empathy for what I've gone through. And now you're pushing, you know, they don't even get my pain and now you're pushing them to, to forgive themselves. Like that certainly doesn't feel fair. And it certainly seems, uh, so what, know, your, what, what, what about answer? the effort, uh, spent, you know, helping them get it. So what's your answer to them? I've got my answer. What's your answer? <laughs> I'm going to say they're both important. I, I, and I yeah, I was going to say, you yeah. know, they're, they're two different processes and they're both required. They're both essential. They're both instrumental because, you know, how partners want to be heard. And they don't want it to happen again. And so the addict doing the addict treatment pathway 
is vital. And tending to the pain they've caused, being responsible, uh, emotionally attuned, remorseful, helping in the healing process, that's essential also. I don't feel like it's one or the other. I think it's both at the same time. Can I even say, I was going to even say that I think self-forgiveness will lead to empathy and more compassion for the partner. So love that. Say more about that, man. I love that. For me, if, if I, if I can't forgive myself, then I'm stuck in constant shame and it's my core beliefs. I'm unlovable and value, you know, all this stuff. And for me, for me personally, it feels like a splitting headache. If I had a splitting headache and was trying to listen to you all, all I'd be really thinking about is my headache and trying to do this as best as I possibly could. But to me, shame is like that debilitating headache that I, I can't even focus on anything else because I'm, I'm kind of blinded by it. Mm-hmm. If I can clear the headache, it's I'm actually going to be a lot clearer to be present and available with you guys. So I guess that's how I see self-forgiveness. It's not like, a, again, it's not absolution for the past. It's actually saying, it's I think the difference between shame and guilt. I can I can forgive myself and I can still hold a healthy guilt. I did something that was damaging and devastating. That doesn't define me necessarily, but then I can actually have more space instead of trying to prove to my partner that I'm actually valuable and lovable and all this stuff or trying to get them to see it in me. Cause I don't, I don't need them to, to validate that in me mm-hmm. anymore. So mm-hmm. I actually think I can actually be more present for them and their experience. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what you guys, what you'd say, but that's how I no, see I it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like that too. And I think the whole piece is around the, so when we say self-forgiveness, there's this piece of, well, how, how do you do that? Um, and so I was, thinking about this as well. And the people that seem to make the most progress on this is when it's framed as loss. So for the addict, what 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 are all the losses that I've experienced in the addiction? And that becomes really powerful. You because- mean because of the addiction or the loss of the addiction? I'm a little confused in the addiction so when they've been acting out mm-hmm. they lose time ah. they lose relationships they lose, they lose okay. so many addicts will say i don't have a relationship really with my kids because i wasn't present i was doing uh, you know my 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 mind and my focus was somewhere else the years i lost in my relationship in my marriage i can't get that back and I realize everything that I've missed. And I'm sure lots and lots of other losses as well around work, around self-awareness, around, um, wow, just looking at a sunrise or a sunset. And there's this other piece that they can go into all the losses. And I was thinking about it, but what do you say to yourself? Do you say, well, I was doing the best I could with what I had. I can hear a lot of partners really upset about that. Um, it sounds like an excuse or a brush off, but it's true. If part, if addicts have intimacy disorder and they don't, they haven't had the right models for relationship, for connection, for self-soothing, when they were acting out, they were doing the best that they could with what they had. I'm having so many reactions over here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love this conversation. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
Okay, so let me just slow down my inner mind and my body so that I can get the words out. Um, because I, I'm, I'm hearing and feeling, you know, the pain of the partner. The pain of the partner of, you lost time in our marriage, in our relationship, and so did I. <laughs> because I thought it was X, Y, and Z. And now I've learned it wasn't, and you actually... I knew you weren't there, but now I know why you weren't there. And now I'm even more in pain about you not being there. I just, I'm just, so I just want to put out to the partners in the world who are hearing this and maybe having that reaction that I, we hear you, we see you. Um, and this is, this is painful work. And so hopefully you, you all take care of yourselves in the best way that you know how of self-care because this could be very distressing. Um, and I also want to, you know, it's, it's again going down that both of the addict's work and treatment and growth process is, is so important. And so is the partners. One is not, and so you hear a lot of sensitivity here today talking about the addict's emotional process and growth and recovery. And I just want to make sure everyone knows we have other podcasts from the other perspectives that we are not saying one is more important than the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We are just today's episode is about forgiveness, self-forgiveness and the po the possibility of that and the process of that for the addict. And just to, to highlight when we're talking about this, the addict's process of forgiveness for themselves. And I agree with Dan. I think that the addict learning to forgive themselves leads to empathy and, and allows the addict to be present for their partner and for others in a, a genuinely deep way. I, I think that that is in, intrinsically linked to the addict being able to forgive themselves. But forgiveness isn't, oh, I understand that I did the best I could. And there was the neurological impact of addiction. And there were all those things. And yeah, that was outside my control. And I did the best I could. So I'm good. That That isn't forgiveness. Forgiveness starts, I think, with grieving. Forgiveness starts with feeling the impact of what we've done. Forgiveness starts with understanding that, that what an addict has done in their past has been woven into the tapestry of their life and it's never going away. And that picture will always be there. And, I think that's also what Wendy was getting to yeah. when talking about yes. the losses. Yeah, and Is accepting that, that and understanding that and seeing that and being responsible for that. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other side of that is that as we're responsible for what we've done in the past, that brings to us in recovery the responsibility for what we weave into our life moving forward. And so I think that living amends and living our life in recovery also has a connection to being able to forgive yourself, not just easily, but through that grief, through that sadness, through that feeling it, and moving to a place of self-forgiveness. You know, taking the grief perspective, because I, again, I'm with you guys, that I think through the process of developing, experiencing uh, self-forgiveness, going through the grief pathway, to get to a place of more self-forgiveness. This is expanding the emotional vocabulary. This is, ex that, that process of grieving is expanding the emotional experiential. 
And so like Dan beautifully said earlier, I think through the forgive self-forgiveness, that expansion can then be moved over maybe a bit better to the partner and maybe feels texturally feels different for the partner. And to themselves. I mean, one of, one of the things that we know about emotions is that emotions neurologically are linked to each other. And if as addicts have spent much of their life trying to do, if you're trying to minimize feeling discomfort, grieving, sadness, uh, fear, emotional pain, anger, uh, if you try to minimize that, you're also minimizing the comfortable emotions like gratitude, joy, love, appreciation. And as addicts open up to grieving and to being able to tolerate and feel that, not only does it open them up to being present for other people in a different way, it opens them up to experience their own gratitude and appreciation and joy in their own recovery, in the changes that they're making in their life, in, in the possibilities of what is opening up in front of them. Yeah, so, yes. Pause and so, say, you're, if you're just joining us now, you're listening to conversations on sex, addiction, and relationships. And today we're talking about forgiveness as a part of the addict's journey. So Tim, I'm gonna you 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 made an interesting point. So you took my words <laughs> and framed them in in a trite way, which which could go that way. It totally could. I hey, I was doing the best I could, you know, and uh, and so it's not my fault. And, um, and just so, to be clear, I know that's not what you were saying in okay. <laughs> anything you said. Okay. But it's a, it's a good point because I don't want people to misunderstand what we're saying or what, what I said. Or to weaponize it. or Right. Or to weaponize it. Um, and I agree. It's this piece of how does the addict become vulnerable enough to go into the grief? Yeah. And the difference between grief and shame. Mm -hmm. There's a distinction there. If you're in shame, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're just going to be circling the drain and there won't be any movement towards healing, I believe. Mm -hmm. But if you're feeling grief, then that's different. And when addicts get to that place of, I really was doing the best I could could i i know that now and i was drowning mm -hmm. and i can have empathy for myself when that was happening so i think i have to think too this is a good question does this only happen with time does it take years and years for an addict to be able to have that retrospective or that perspective of that was then this is now I've had a long time of sobriety I can see where I was then I can see where I am now and I can have compassion now right I, like how how long does it take yes and no I mean I think that's my skepticism for what Jeannie was saying I do think there's a role there's a world where people do get some get it sooner and they have some wisdom or perspective. I guess I'm a little bit more suspicious or skeptical of it when it's so soon, because I do think it takes time. It takes, uh, it, the grief doesn't just happen overnight. Obviously it takes, it takes time. It takes really, really sitting with it, the depth of it. So I, I, I think, I do think it takes time. 
I also I think, think that time is necessary, gets... but not sufficient. It, it requires time. But if you're not doing the recovery work, if you're not digging into understanding your patterns, if you're not clarifying your denial, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that goes into recovery work that helps addicts to start to see what they've lost and what had happened and being willing to step into the to the painful past. So I think the time is necessary. Sometimes I think it takes years and years. Some people are able to do it more quickly, but again, I'm skeptical when I see it up front. But I don't think it's the only variable that allows people to get there. Okay. Okay. I, I, I was gonna throw a wrench in the conversation. Oh boy. Okay. Let's do it. Are we okay with that? Sure. I guess. Okay. <laughs> so the the this we've talked about self forgiveness. What about the situation where we we have where um someone comes in my room and you know this is an addict they're in recovery they're trying to take responsibility and then they'll say, but my partner blah blah blah. They, I they never like anything that happens afterwards. I know. I I get it. I'm, I'm all you know they're that's not real responsibility taking if there's a but and all that, but what, but what do we do in those situations where the addict, um, they they say, Oh, I, I forgive my partner for some of the, the things that they did in the relationship, the partner's actions mm -hmm. prior to discovery or, you know, the betrayal. Yeah. I see your face, Jeannie. Um, or, the, <laughs> <laughs> or, well, or, go. or the trauma responses that happen for a partner and how they cope with the trauma. And so then they, they're forgiving their partner. So what do we do? This is a, a, a elephant in the room for me that we get, we get this with our clients. So I think we should talk about it. Okay. So do me a favor, narrow what you said. Cause I, in my brain, um, you said like four different pieces. Two, okay. So the main thing, so the addict forgiving their partner for either whatever's going on prior to discovery, some stuff in the relationship and, or some of the trauma responses that the partner, uh, had. And, you know, let's say it got verbally, uh, aggressive or physically violent or something like that. Is, is the partner asking for forgiveness? Well, that's a good question. Are they, do partners ask for forgiveness? Usually some, do. They some, do. Do. some feel terrible about their behavior afterwards. I, I don't disagree, but I don't usually, I usually hear the addicts asking for forgiveness more. Right. So that, that's the piece. If, if, because of the addict says, you know, um, I, 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 I'm forgiving myself for what I did and I forgive you too, partner <laughs> right. for oh all the stuff that you did to me. Oh boy. She's gonna light up. Oh boy. <laughs> I think and I'll be with her when she does. Light the fuse, <laughs> let that blow up. No, the, no, 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 no. In one of the previous podcasts that we did on forgiveness, I think I said that I think it's essential that the addict forgives the partner. And I still stand by that. I think that that addicts have to be able to forgive the partner because the partner is always going to have issues in, in relationships that that's just part of being in a relationship that we sometimes do things that aren't kind and partners have their betrayal trauma that may come out in ways that are not very kind or fair or uh, respect fair. the addict. Be careful with that word, sir. <laughs> and there is, a, oh, there is nothing fair about these situations and about betrayal. So let's be really careful about putting that word. But I, I actually, Tim, I think you said something you didn't mean to say, so I'm gonna actually back you up a little bit. You said something about the, now we're out of forgiveness and addict forgiveness, but 
you said something about the partner always having issues in relationships. And I don't, but you didn't say the addict had, addict had issues. So. Okay. Clarify that. Yeah. So here's my, here's my question for you. Oh, question. Okay. Outside, regardless of whether there's a relationship that is an addiction or not, okay. if there are, if there are conflicts going on in a relationship, do you believe that one person is wholly at fault for those conflicts? I'm going to say what I always say, which is every person is responsible for their behavior at all times. Exactly. No matter what they do. So if I accidentally bump someone and they fall down and skin their knee, I certainly didn't mean for that to happen. And I'm still responsible for the bump. So if I yell at someone and call them bad names, I'm still responsible for my behavior. If I have sex with multiple people who are not my wife, I am still responsible for that behavior. And so when I say partner, I don't mean betrayed partner here. I just mean partner in a relationship. Relationship partner. In, in a relationship that there's always stuff on both sides of the relationship that are creating conflicts. One person may have more weight with that. In addiction, we know the addict has typically been keeping secrets and has been be, you know, being deceptive. And so there's more weight on what they're doing, that doesn't mean that there isn't something that the partner's bringing to the relationship that may be creating issues, not responsible for the addiction or the behaviors, but their own stuff. Well, I would say there's Likewise. a difference. There's Likewise. a difference. Yes, I'm, I mean, I, again, everyone's responsible for the behavior at all times. We're going off I, what the point I'm really trying to make. Okay, let's go for that. <laughs> the point I'm really trying to make is, and partners may bristle with this, and I'm just going to say it careful addicts have felt pain anger whatever from with their partners whether sure. the partner thinks they deserve it or not addicts have felt that if sure. they're holding it the addict has to find a way to be able to forgive the partner for what they believe the partner did to them intentionally or not now i will agree with wendy i do not encourage addicts ever to go to the partner and say I've been thinking about all the things that you did to me, and I've decided that I'm forgiving you for all of the things that you've done to me as a, as a part of this process and in your trauma and stuff. I forgive you, and I'm moving forward now, and I just want you to know that. That conversation is 100% is of the time going to go badly, and I never would encourage that conversation to happen, but that doesn't mean that the addict on their own internal process doesn't have to find a way to forgive the partner for whatever else, whatever was going on. Oftentimes that's, can I understand what was going on with the partner and why that made sense to them at that time? And, or I, th I think I, I do need to add, I mean, this is part of the step work. If you think six, seven of understanding my interpretation of what the partner, if I'm an addict, my interpretation may be very well distorted and probably is. So I'm reading into things. I'm attributing slights or things that aren't there from the other person. So I, I think we have to deal with, you know, distorted thinking patterns before I talk about forgiveness. But let's also push this a little bit. I mean, if, 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 if partners out there are bristling with what we're saying, what's the opposite? The opposite is what if we tell the addict, you have no right to forgive the partner and this isn't anything you should do. The addict ends up sitting with all their resentments. And those resentments play into the relationship in a problematic way. The, if you're going to let go of resentments, you have to forgive the source of where those resentments came from, as well as own your own part in the process. And so 
addicts, in my opinion, I'm biting my tongue on that second part, have to be able to forgive the partner. That isn't a conversation to announce that they've forgiven them, but they have to forgive the partner to let go of that resentment so that they can be present, empathetic, supportive, all that stuff from their side of the relationship in a, in a healthy, healing, supportive way. But wait, I, I, I think, oh, hang on, let me weigh in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So firm belief that when two people get together, they have similar wounding. Every time I do family trees with a couple, there are similar wounds, usually at similar developmental stages. Similar wounds or complementary? A similar, similar, not complementary, similar. So, um, it could, or it could be complementary. So, um, matrilineal line. Um, the, the, the women are all strong and the men are absent and his situation is the men are all strong and the women are absent, or it could be on both sides. Women are strong and men are absent on both sides. What do we have there? Well, we have a gender missing, um, which causes trauma when you don't have those uh, those relationships, those close relationships. Uh, it, it could be um, trauma that happened with each person between the ages of like five and seven. They might not be the same trauma, but it could be, oh, I, expe I experienced abandonment because I was moved from one school to the other. And then I was okay in the one school and then bullied in the other. And then the other one says, oh my gosh, when I was five, uh, my grandmother died. So some big loss that happens at the same age. So they know each other. I really believe that in any close, intimate relationship, we know each other on an unconscious core level. And so we know exactly, I forget who said this, but we exactly know how the way I frame it is, we know exactly how to heal each other and to be empathetic and to be compassionate to that other person because we know, because we've experienced that, we know. I'm so really it, that way, huh? I said, I'm really curious where you're in, where you're ending up with this. Yep. Yep. So we know. And then on the other side, we can rip each other to shreds because we know exactly how to hit those wounds in just the right way. So for the addict, if they can hold their partner in that very young traumatic space with everything that's happening with all, you know, we could say chances are she's had a lot of abandonment in her life and then the sex addiction just lights that on fire if he can empathize, so I'm going more on the empathetic route. And dare I say, when the partner has worked with her trauma, gotten some space perspective, she's going to see, he's going to see that the addict has had very similar traumas. So I'm, I'm going on this compassion piece. And the being able to hold the other person in that compassionate place 
opens up and it makes forgiveness easier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me let, let me we're let me shift the this topic just a little bit because we're talking about addicts forgiving others. And so talk about what your perspective is on the importance of addicts forgiving people from their past, specifically people who were their abusers, whether that's overt sexual abuse, covert sexual abuse, or what what I see if I don't see the the, the overt or covert sexual abuse, I almost exclude always see relational abuse showing up somewhere in their histories in relational abuse or relational wounding relational trauma i guess i should say because i think yes. a lot of people out there would be like i wasn't abused right Maybe wounding experience or developmental yeah. wounding so how essential do you think it is that addicts go through the process and are able to forgive those that harmed them and probably and in many ways set them on the path of their addiction as a part of their recovery journey. So I think for me this gets into the forgiveness. What's the definition of that? Acceptance, what's the definition of that? And what's the process? Because I think there's an acceptance, but maybe not forgiveness. And I don't know that forgiveness is required through for health. I think coming to terms with some way of finding a way to come to terms with in your own process of balancing, but maybe not forgiveness. So when you ask that question for me, it, it seems like that's a, there's much bigger context around it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can I read a quote? Uh, this was Cameron Carver. I want to quote him. Um, I did a talk and the, the forgiveness topic came up. And he, he sent me his, his definition. So his definition of forgiveness is the act of giving our future selves. So forgive mm -hmm. the gift of not perpetuating the hurt that was initially done to us. So that's his definition, which I thought what was real. That? This is, is this is Cameron Carver. He's a CSAT. So he, he, this is at the, okay. the symposium. Anyway, I, I like that. Cause that's kind of the acceptance piece. I'm not, I'm releasing myself from this i'm not going to perpetuate this you know harming other people around me or myself i mean i i like that it's not saying i don't have to reconcile that's another thing we talked about right forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation so i i think there's this this grieving and healing that that i can do from the past so i think that's important again i can still have boundaries and i never have to talk to people again i can still keep you know all that stuff but releasing myself from it. I think there's a different energetic between acceptance and forgiveness. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very pushing much. through different parts of my life where it's like, oh, okay, I accept that. I get it, but I'm still angry. Yeah. When I forgive, there's such a letting go that happens. I, I can just let go of the hurt and I let go of the hurt, let go of the attachment to what's been done to me. I find it's often a shift from anger to sadness. Mm -hmm. I can feel I'm no longer like pissed off, angry, reactive about what I went through, but now I can feel sad. I can feel sad that I went through that. I can feel sad that that was the experience. And if I'm really doing the work, I can feel sad that whatever happened to that other person happened to them that put them on that journey toward the point where they did this to me. 
And that doesn't mean that that I say that what they did was okay. It's not that type of, you know, absolution. It also doesn't mean if they're continuing those patterns because they haven't been able to do their own work that I'm going to have a relationship with them. But I can feel sad that they got to that point. I can feel sad that I went through this and I can choose to move forward with that understanding and that sadness as a part of my history and not, like Dan was saying, not carry that that anger into my future. I can recognize it as a part of my past. See, and I would, I would say, I'm thinking of like, is forgiveness required, right? For growth and letting go. And I would say, I, it's my experience, no. I can, I, I'm thinking EMDR, I'm thinking brain spotting, you know, when you're working with someone who's undergone some traumatic event, um, in my mind, I'm just thinking violence. I'm thinking, you know, rape. I'm thinking sexual assault of it's not okay that it happened. I don't forgive that person and I'm letting go of it. It was something that happened in the past and I'm not going to be energetically tied to it, but I don't forgive. So I, I just want to like, is forgiveness required? I think it again, that depends on your definition of forgiveness. I, like I think so too. In, in an earlier episode, I talked about, you know, my, my identity, my definition of forgiveness has to do with energy. And am I letting my energy be attached to that? Or am I moving it to other parts of my life? And in that case, it's not about, I'm saying that what you did was okay. And yet I might still forgive because I'm choosing not to put my energy there and not to dwell there. And I'm moving on in a different way. So I don't know that forgiveness is anything about saying that what it was was okay. And I don't think that forgiveness is, and it has to be, you know, like we were talking about earlier with addicts and partners, doesn't have to be going to the person or even, uh, or metaphorically going to the person saying, I forgive you for what you did to me. It's, I, I, I may often think of forgiveness as that I'm not dwelling there and I'm not putting my energy there anymore. You know what I'm really uh, coming to terms with realizing in the expansion of this topic with this conversation today is perhaps it's a self-defined concept yeah. that for all the folks who are listening, one sec, for all the folks who are listening, that they create what is their definition of forgiveness? And is that applicable for themselves or others in the in their relationships? But you know, because like you said, Tim, you define it in this way and, and I define it in this way. And I'm thinking, I bet a lot of people have their own definitions. And so maybe that's some of the work is what is your own definite? And this is to the listeners. What is your own definition of forgiveness? And then figure out if that plays a part in your process of healing from relationships or hurt healing from pain. So I'm thinking that everybody can spend some time and spend some moments reflecting for themselves as they learn about forgiveness, what's right for them. What do you guys think about that? Sounds like a good place to end. <laughs> All right. Everyone, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I hope you found this conversation uh, helpful or enlightening in some way. Uh, please... Be sure to uh, rate us on uh, Apple iTunes or Spotify or YouTube or wherever you're listening to us. Um, also, as a reminder, please send us your questions. We are going to be putting a Q&A episode out shortly. 
So send any questions you have about anything to us uh, to conversations.sar at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.